Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Sometimes you just got to sit around with some really cool chicks and have some conversations about life that are funny and frank. I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking with the Know You Go podcast hosts, Jen, Cattell, and Sarah. And they are dishing all of their awesome career and money advice. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. One of my favorite things to do is podcast swaps. I've been doing a lot of them lately and trying to tell you and keep you up to date on the different podcast episodes that I'm on. But 
I've been following and listening to a podcast, Know You Go, for a while now. They just launched a new season this year. And, you know, I find myself kind of like flip-flopping between laughing hysterically and deep in thought. A couple of the episodes had me a bit emotional. And I love podcasts that do that, that kind of bring you through a range of emotions. And I love podcasts where there's multiple hosts and, you know, you kind of feel different viewpoints. You get to know people in a different way. And so I reached out to them and I said, hey, we should do a podcast swap. I think it would be awesome to have you on my podcast. And of course, I'd love to be on yours as well. So actually today, the episode of Know You Go that I am on is um, is live and I will have a link in the show notes. You can go over and check that out. But I spent uh, probably way too long on their podcast talking about my background and kind of my own journey, my own struggles with money and the things that I've seen working with people for uh, 12 plus years and uh, dishing lots of tips. What I loved about their podcast interview was I didn't have any questions in advance, so it was really kind of on the spot. And I love doing those types of interviews because it helps me really hone in on advice and tips and kind of like think uh, right there in the moment about the different advice that I would give. Uh, But then I love, you know, being able to share my story too. I try not to do it too much on this podcast so I don't bore you over and over again with the same stories. But, you know, go over there and and check that out if you want to hear more about my stories. But on this episode, I had uh, Sarah, Cattell, and Jen join me, and they are just like three badass women in their own right. They have amazing careers. They have learned so much about life, about negotiating for a pay raise, for what you're worth, whether you're a chick or a guy. And so I wanted to not only hear their stories, but I also wanted them to dish some of their own money advice, some of the things that they've learned And uh, the episode just took such a great, um, it was just a great flow, I guess I would say. And uh, there were some really cool topics that we got into that I know you're going to enjoy. And we even got talking about credit card theft and uh, lots of tips about uh, securing your money and, and the emotional side of finance, which I think we don't talk about enough. But When I was on their podcast episode, we had hopes of getting into some of their money questions, some of the money questions that came from their listeners, and we just simply ran out of time. I apparently talked too much, and we didn't have any time left on the episode. So what we decided to do on this episode was also tackle some of those questions we didn't get to. So Instead of doing an Ask Shauna question today, I thought it would be awesome just to build those into the episode with the Know You Go girls and uh, help dish some of those questions. So um, I hope you sit back and enjoy this awesome discussion and then also head on over to the Know You Go podcast to check out my episode. So I was recently a guest on your podcast, Know You Go, and we had such a great discussion. We didn't even get to answer all the money questions you had. So I thought, why not have all of you back, get to know you better, and then tackle some of those pressing money questions. What I love the most is the tagline for your podcast. Jen, Cattell, and Sarah, your professional powerhouses, love that word, funny as hell, that's awesome, and you're here to figure out what 
we're doing or you're doing with your life, even if you think you ought to know by now. I'd love to just start out with, you know, how did you come up with the concept for Know You Go? Yeah, I I had been thinking a little bit, you know, about wanting to have some kind of podcast where we were talking about how people sort of like build careers that are on their own terms. And I first floated it by Cattell one day when we were on a run and I was like, yeah, you know, let's talk about how people get these like speaking careers and writing careers going that support whatever it is they do day to day. And then we were actually at Jen's house one night um, watching Riverdale and drinking wine, uh, as you do. And uh-huh. it's, it's actually a very important part of our friendship and our lives. And so I, uh, you know, I, I, we brought it up again. We started talking about that and Jen's face just lit up. I have this memory of her eyes just getting like so bright because she'd done a podcast before and really loved it. And so we started just kind of talking all about it. And what was really great about the idea as it sort of evolved is that we realized it wasn't just advice or it wasn't just about, you know, like, how do you get a speaking or a writing career going as sort of like to supplement your professional life, but more about what does it mean to kind of like bring your whole self to work? What does it mean to pursue things on your own terms? What does it mean to build a work life that is meaningful to you, whatever that means for you? And it led us down this path where I feel like we're exploring lots of interesting stuff. And I talk a lot about it being like um, living your best feminist life at work, which is kind of like one of my personal mantras. Uh, like, how do I how do I bring those things together? And um, and I think that that's been really cool because, you know, we come from similar but different backgrounds. So we have similar takes on some stuff and then like wildly different experiences and other stuff. I am a consultant and an author. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, working with clients and out on the road doing conferences and events. And that's a little different from Cattell, who can talk about her background, but she's, you know, the CEO of a small company. And then Jen is a manager in a big company. And so we're all coming at these things from these very different places. Yeah. So in Jen, you know, what made you light up about this idea? Right. Yeah. So um, I used to do a lot of um, public speaking and um, sort of traveling. And as Sarah mentioned, I also um, used to host a podcast called Ladies in Tech, which was about um, women um, and public speaking. And um, I had sort of cut back, not sort of, completely cut back on all of this um, <laughs> over the last like year and a half, no, two years um, as I um, was pregnant and then had a child. Um, and so I now have a, a 15-month-old and trying to figure out that like balance of being a mom and having no sleep and still being able to contribute to the community um, was something that I was, I've been really struggling with because um, I really missed it. Um, I really missed the community and the sharing and I wanted to do it. But the idea of also like doing the amount of travel I used to do was uh, just not really how I wanted to ramp back into things. And so this idea of being able to do a podcast with two of my friends who I already love spending time with was like a way that I could get that back. Um, so it was such like a great idea and concept. And then also something for me that just like fell into place of like, oh, here's how I can like stay local, but still be able to feel like I'm giving back and reaching um, more people. And I think that's what's so great about the podcast world is it's it's made it completely accessible to you you know, whatever it is that you want to talk about to be able to reach an audience in a way that you you haven't 
been able to. And we don't have to show our faces. So we can be in our jammies with, you know, <laughs> our hair not done and all that good stuff and, and still be, you know, uh, helping to enrich people's lives. Totally. I think it's like, there's so many, you know, a lot of people really want to get like involved in something or like going beyond like their day to day. And there's just, there's a lot of different ways to do it. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same path for everyone. And I think that, um, like podcasting is one of those great options. Yeah. And, uh, Cattell, you know, you share a lot of stories on know you go about other badass women, women doing cool things. Why do you think it's important to share these stories and bring them to life? I, I think for me, you know, one of the reasons that I was so excited about starting this was exactly that, you know, I think we, the three of us looked kind of looked around and realized that, you know, a lot of the successes that we had had achievements and a lot of the struggles that we were facing were, you know, not only um, struggles and achievements that other, other friends and colleagues had shared with us, but, you know, we had gotten to these places with help from other folks. Um, and I think as we started realizing that there were all of these commonalities and kind of, um, you know, I think we also saw other groups of, of women kind of helping each other along and, and, you know, celebrating each other. We were like, we want to share these stories because there are so many cool ones out there. And we also, I mean, I think we also really all just felt so lucky that we know so many folks that, you know, we, we really wanted to talk to. Um, I think that was a big part of of it for me, for sure. You know, for me, I find that I'm just really excited to get to reach out to people who are doing such cool stuff and get to talk to them. It's like a good excuse, I think, to be able to meet people who I maybe wouldn't otherwise know. And then also to sometimes shine a spotlight on people I want more, more, you know, people to know about, right? Like we will have somebody on the show that one of us knows sometimes and we're like, this person is awesome. She's doing yeah. so much cool shit. I want more people to know about what she's doing. And then we have an excuse to make that happen, which is really rad. Um, I think the other thing that I really love about the show is that I think the three of us realize, you know, we're really lucky to have each other. We're all in Philadelphia and we can get together for, you know, dinner and like TV binging and, and talk about these like hard subjects, you know, things like money, things like raises, things like dealing with tough coworkers. And, and we have like the ability to like vent to each other and bounce ideas back and forth. And I know that a lot of people don't have that. Um, and some of the things that I found to be most rewarding about doing the show is people being like, that they can relate so much to the things that we talk about and that they don't necessarily have someone to be able to talk about these subjects with, you know, and it's that like, how do you, how do you like broach these tough subjects to talk about and to be more and more open with them? I think sets like a really good precedent to people. Like we can start talking about these and, and sharing ideas with each other. So I, I really like that part of it. That's such a great point. Yeah. That's what I love about, about podcasting as well. And, you know, Sarah, you mentioned you all come from such different backgrounds, I'd love to go around. Maybe you could start off and just share a little bit about your background and also if there's any like big money lesson or anything you've learned along the way that you'd love to share too. Before we get into those juicy money lessons, a quick word from our podcast episode sponsor. Hey, I know there are a ton of podcasts to choose from and of course, such limited time to listen to them all. But if you really want to learn more about blockchain and Bitcoin and are trying to figure out what the heck it even is, but you don't know where to start, the Decrypting Crypto podcast might just be for you. Since I've been listening, they've covered so many different topics. They've talked about, you know, buying your first cryptocurrency, 
what in the heck gives crypto value, which is really everyone's question, and they've explored all things blockchain. Host Austin and Matthew, they take the complex concepts behind cryptocurrency and blockchain, and they really distill them down into a language that I feel anybody can understand. It's perfect for those new to the space, if you're just looking to learn more and trying to figure out what it is, or even if you think you've actually got this thing down, it's always a good idea to learn more because at the end of the day, it's your money that you're investing, so you should really understand what you're putting your money in. Simply search for the Decrypting Crypto Podcast to start listening with me today. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. 
I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top rated personal finance app. And now listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away, and back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh my God, I've learned so many money lessons. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I... um, I'm about to turn 35 and I have been working for myself uh, for the past almost seven years. And in that time, I've been doing mostly um, consulting work uh, around content strategy and user experience. So helping people with kind of like big, messy 
online communication problems, uh, figure out what they're trying to say, how to organize their content, how to have better user experiences for the audiences they're trying to reach. And so in that time, I've written three books. Two of them were really for people in my field, um, so for my sort of professional peers. And then one of them is more of a mainstream book. So it's being it's being marketed right now to sort of your everyday reader who's interested in technology. And it's about the way that um, bias gets built into technology. And so I've had to learn a lot about how to, of course, make money, um, how to get clients, <laughs> right? Like step step one, if you want to work for yourself, you you have to figure out like, okay, well, nobody's paying my salary. So how how exactly will I be paying my own salary? And also how to set up a business. You know, I had to answer a lot of questions about business structure. And, um, you know, how am I going to also do things like save for retirement? How how do I both set that up like sort of like the the nuts and bolts of like what types of accounts, but also how do I organize my my income and how do I organize my year so that, I, you know, when I get to the end of the year, my financial picture looks like I want, considering that you know that money is not going to be perfectly consistent from week to week or month to month when you work for yourself. Um, and then all these other money questions cropped up as I started doing things like speaking at conferences and writing books because – well, you have to figure out if you can get paid for that stuff and how much you get paid for that stuff and then how that fits into your picture. And, the, you know, the equations are totally different, right? Because like the amount of money you make off of something like writing a book is typically, unless you have a big bestseller, not huge and probably like not the most lucrative use of your time if you looked at it as like hours put in versus checks that are directly related to the book. But then you have to think about, well, how does that, but how does that play into everything else? Right? Like, so does it help me get clients? Does it help me raise my profile? So it's all, it's all these like complicated things that roll together. And, you know, for me, the latest challenge has really been figuring out what my right balance is in terms of, do I want to do more consulting or less? Do I want to do more book writing or less? And, and if I want to do more or less of these things, you know, how, how do I make it still fit together into some kind of coherent picture? And with the podcast too, it's like, we're, we're growing. We are getting a lot of listeners. I mean, you know, relatively we're, we're still new. We started a couple months ago and are thinking a lot about like, well, okay, so how much of my schedule should be devoted to podcast stuff? And, you know, how does that fit in? Um, and so, you know, I feel like it's, it's like, I learned a ton. I feel really good about where I am financially in a lot of ways. And then I also know that it's constantly shifting. And so I have to like constantly go back to these questions that I maybe had an answer for in the past and figure out if that answer is even still relevant. That's such a good point too, Sarah. I know I found, you know, being an entrepreneur, you're constantly in that battle of how much time you spend on something versus the return, you know, you're going to get. And you don't always get a return or immediate return. But sometimes as an entrepreneur, we can spend so many hours on something and, you know, it not be fruitful when potentially we could be spending time on something else that that could be more fruitful. It's kind of, I've, I've found that to be, you know, the tough part of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I also think it's, a, it takes a lot of kind of self-awareness to get to a place where you have a clear enough picture of sort of like, what kinds of challenges are you interested in taking on, even if they don't end up earning you a ton of money? Yes. Um, what kind of like time scale are you working on? Like, do you need something that's going to have a return right now? Or are you building toward the long haul? 
And also, you know, how much risk are you, are you willing to take at any one moment or how many different areas of your professional life are you willing to be risky in? Um, I feel like for me, I can take some risks on the book side because the consulting world that I'm in has been pretty stable for me. So it's kind of like, if I take some risks over here, I'm not taking as many over here. So, you know, I can see where it goes. And I think like, it's, it, you know, you really do have to check in with yourself a lot and you have to be willing to kind of like get real with yourself. You know, you, you can't bullshit yourself. <laughs> you can try, but it doesn't work very well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it will, it will disappoint you in the long run if you do that. Absolutely. It's like when you set your clock ahead, like 10 minutes, thinking like this will get me out the door. But you know, secretly that that clock is ahead 10 minutes. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so why don't you uh, take it from here? Tell us a little bit about your background and, and maybe any money lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I come from a web design and development background. And um, I um, out of college, definitely did a few different full-time jobs for a while. And that, um, eventually sort of geared more towards the development programming engineering side of things and really got into the, the writing, the speaking and sharing about all of that. And just, um, sort of found like a, a bigger place, I think in like the web community by, um, you know, sharing all the things I learned over the years. And, um, from there, I did a little bit of freelance consulting also, um, and now I'm currently back into full-time um, as an engineering manager um, down at uh, Urban, um, who uh, we do Urban Outfitters, Free People in Anthropology, so I'm in the e-com world now. And um, it's been interesting. So I think I've learned a lot from like the full-time jobs, the freelance and consulting jobs, and like um, you know Sarah mentioned before, the speaking gigs too. It's interesting doing consulting work because <laughs> you start like, thinking about all of your days as like hourly rates <laughs> and you start wondering like, okay, if I'm doing this right now, I'm not doing this right now. And again, like that balance, like, okay, if I'm doing this, then I'm not getting paid for doing consulting work. Um, and it really made me start thinking even more formulaically about everything. Um, I wrote a post one time that still gets like a lot of traffic on like one of my old blogging, like uh, engineering blog sites that's um, about a formula for charging speaker fees and it's all about sort of taking your hourly rate with the time it takes for slide preparation and practice and sort of to feel more confident about asking for money when you're doing public speaking. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are hesitant for it. And again, you know, there is that balance, right, of exposure. Um, but it's weird because like in the in the design industry, there's this whole movement against, you know, doing work for free to see if you can get a job. And I think like the same thing for speaking necessarily. Um so for me, if a conference is charging high ticket fees, but not paying speaker fees, then there's a problem with that. And um, by having a formula, it made me feel more confident in asking for that money. And I sort of have taken that um, sort of like theory and applied it, I think, to a lot of things. So like every year as I get more and more confident in my skills and what I do uh, for my job, the more confident I am to ask for, you know, bigger raises or higher salaries. And I can look at um, all the accomplishments I have. And like, I don't have a problem now going into negotiating and feeling like I can negotiate for the salary that I deserve because I know of all the things that I bring with me to the table. Yeah. So how would you, you know, if somebody's listening and, and they're in that position and they're nervous to start negotiating, or maybe they don't have that confidence yet, is there any advice you would give them to how they could, you know, at least start baby stepping in that direction? 
Totally. I think keeping a list, like I'm not talking about a resume, but really like writing a list of like the things that you've um, sort of done and your skills is really important. Um, And it can just be like, don't even think about sharing with anyone else. Just like it could be sloppily written of like, here are the things that I'm really good at. Um, Because sometimes people get like nervous when writing about themselves. Like, oh, am I sounding too cocky? Am I sounding too confident? And it's like, but maybe if you think about just keeping it for you, it's a little bit easier. And like you looking at that list and being like, wow, here are all the things that I do really well. And then before going in, this is one of those things that um, Sarah uh, loves to tell people. And I think it's just some of the best advice is if there's a number you're looking for, make sure that you're saying it out loud before you go into that meeting. Um, Like don't. That's so good. Like if you want to ask, and I love this, I've shared this like Sarah's advice with other people too. Like if you're going to ask for $500,000, say $500,000 as many times as you need to until like you've got that straight face and you believe it. Yeah, I love that piece of advice because you got to own it. You got to own what you're asking for, mm-hmm. even if you're like, oh, I have no idea if they're actually going to pay me this amount. Okay. Yeah. So I remember this one time, it was the first time that I ever really did this with a friend. We were sitting on the phone and she was nerve wracked because she was going in for sort of like the final offer negotiation or whatever. And I was like, well, how much money do you want? And at the time, you know, the the answer to that question for her happened to be $95,000. And so she was like, well, well, and I was like, look, can you say the number? And she was so anxious about it. And finally, she kind of whispered it at me. And I said back to her, $95,000. And she said, $95,000. We went back and forth until she was basically yelling (laughs) (laughs) $95,000. Because for her, like, it was a big salary increase because it was a big responsibility increase. And it was an appropriate salary for her. But it was a number that had never come out of her lips before. And people can kind of tell, you know, like, they can tell that you're feeling awkward saying the number. So yell it. And then when you go in and you say it like normal, you're going to own it. Yeah. It's so rare that like people are just going to go be like, you know what? You've been doing great. Here's the $95,000 that you deserve. (laughs) And as much as like that, yes, that would be awesome if the world worked that way. And it's not like people aren't like busting their butts to get it. It's just not like how it works. So like, as of right now, we need to like know that and then feel like the confidence on our side to ask for it. Because in most situations, if you don't ask for something, you're not going to get it. Yeah, I put an exclamation point on the end of that. That was awesome. So Catel, it's over to you. Tell us a little bit about your background and any of these juicy money lessons. Sure. Uh, So even though I majored in photography, uh, I have spent most of my career in publishing, some form or another. Um, And I actually got my photography degree as an associate. I went to a two-year school. And I think for me, I I start there because, you know, I went to a two-year school because I knew that that's what I could pay for. So I never had, you know, student loans or or anything that like that, like my friends did. So I, I didn't know a lot about sort of like what that meant or what, what having that kind of debt meant. Um, I also didn't know what having credit card debt meant. And I soon learned (laughs) because I was a student and I was trying to get, you know, get through uh, doing that. Um, But I really, I think the first, the first time I really like learned something about, you know, money was when I, I decided to buy a car and I did it, you know, by myself, I figured out what the payments needed to be and sort of, you know, what, what my salary at that point was. And really just like, I, I figured out how to, read, you know, what I was taking in and what I was paying out. And that was like the first time I really, 
I think worked with a, you know, with what I think we would call a budget. Um, so I think I've always been, I've always thought about that as my, you know, as sort of like the first touch point. Um, but sort of fast forwarding to where I am today, I, I currently run a, an independent book publishing company. Um, it's really small. I'm the only full-time employee. Um, and I've been doing this for about five years, uh, before that, I had always worked at a traditional company, you know, uh, like with, you know, regular paychecks and insurance and, um, and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So moving over to this, I, I also have health insurance now and I have a salary. It's great. Um, however, I think what, what was very different was, you know, I was moving into a, a, a scenario in which I was really, I was running the company and it's, it's as if it's my own company. Um, so I run the business, I run the PNL, I run the budget, I run all the operations. And I think I want to say, you know, maybe two or three years in, um, and, you know, running any business, you go through ups and downs and you have lean years and, you know, fat years. And it's, you know, you kind of go through those, um, peaks and valleys when we have, gone through, I think the first valley that I had really, uh, experienced, I didn't realize how much it was affecting like me and my whole person, because all of a sudden I realized that I wasn't just managing my own personal and like household budget. I was also managing a budget that like other people were relying on <laughs> for, you know, for, for being paid and for, you know, keeping a business, uh, successful and profitable. So I, it really, really affected me. And I hadn't really realized how, you know, how much I was putting into keeping those things running and, you know, maintaining them. So I think was it affecting you like sleep or, or your body or, you know, all of those. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, at, at the time when I was going through that, that first kind of, um, patch, I was also, things were, com- were completely changing, um, in my own household. So I, you know, I had been at this job where everything was sort of different and my husband had also started consulting. So he was, you know, working in this like whole new framework. Um, we were running into uh, like all of the, you know, the pain points that, uh, Jen and Sarah have mentioned about, you know, doing that kind of work and, you know, the, the stress of finding the next gig and, and just like making sure that that, um, is working. So I sort of felt like, oh gosh, everything that I am managing money wise is like not going right. And how do I, I, you know, get it back under control? And, you know, luckily I think like we, we sorted a bunch of stuff out um, at home because, you know, we, we figured out a plan, um, for our personal budget and, um, with, with the business, you know, again, we, I did the same thing there. I sort of looked at what we needed to do, where we needed to scale back and how we needed to change things. And, um, you know, it was good. We made the right decisions and we were very like slow and steady and careful about that. Yeah. That's such a good point too. I think, you know, I talk about this a lot on the podcast episodes about the emotional aspect of money and how we tend to overlook that because it's not written about a lot or talked about a lot. You know, we read all these articles about money tips and strategies and things like that, but, you know, it can really have uh, such a 
burden on us and you know it can affect lots of areas sleep relationships of course you know how we're eating how we're thinking and and us not really know the emotional toll that we're taking on just because i mean i feel we live in a society where we just don't talk about money that much yeah absolutely and i think right you know when you're when you're sort of i felt when i was getting it when i was feeling it in both of those places in my life I just, I felt like I couldn't escape it, (laughs) but I also felt like very guarded and like, I couldn't really talk to just anybody about what was going on. You know, I, I felt like I had to kind of resolve, um, you know, whatever sort of issues were happening where, um, well not issues, but like I needed to figure out what the path forward was going to be to get us to a better place in both scenarios. Um, and I think that's also another thing is that, you know, you think like you can just plan your way out of it. But a lot of times I think it's just, like you have you have to ask for help. Yeah, you know, and uh, a lot of times, I mean, you know, I don't know if the three of you would echo this, but you know, anytime I've been in a situation where maybe I've been stressed about money or or anything like that, for me, it's about taking little steps. You know, it doesn't get fixed overnight, doesn't change overnight, but you know, if you if you slowly become proactive, little by little, you know, things start to change. Maybe not exactly in the way you would want, but they do start to change. Completely. Um, I, you know, I've been trying to catch up on this recently. And one of the things I just did um, was like move my savings account into like a, another like higher interest savings account. And like, is it going to return a ton of money? No, but it's one of those things that's like, oh, I should really move that. And that's been like, was weighing on me for so long. And now I finally moved it. I'm giving you your gold star for the day. That's awesome. Yay. <laughs> I think that that's the kind of stuff that like, um, in my head, it's like, oh yeah, I have this list of things to do and each of them should be a quote unquote simple task. So I should just get them all done at once. And then I don't because I'm overwhelmed. And so I really like that idea of like, no, I'm just going to do that one. I'm going to move the one account. I'm not going to try to get like all of the things done in one fell swoop because I'm just going to want to curl up and die afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) And that is honesty. Yes. Yes. I also feel like the I'm like one of those people who believes in like um, sort of like dumping the, my to do list into an actual list. And so I have like my my money list, which is like all the things that I should do, like 529 account, move 401k, you know, the high yield savings and just having it written down makes me feel like, OK, at least it's dumped out of my head in that like getting things done model. So I know it's there. I'm not going to forget that I need to do it, but I'm not going to do it right now. Yeah, that's half the battle, I think, just getting it out of your head, you know, so that's like one, you know, positive step forward. And, uh, you know, the actual getting to do it part is, you know, the part that takes most of the effort. But yeah, I think I think the best strategy is just like one thing or one little piece of one thing at a time. Because that way you you don't tend to become overwhelmed. And it's like, okay, well, I could pick up the rest of the pieces, you know, tomorrow or next week or whatever it may be to actually accomplish that task. Completely. And like, I've, I've talked about this a lot, but I'm like a really big fan of David Allen's getting things done. And like the whole thing with like the savings account, it's like, okay, well, I want to move it to a higher savings account, but what's just, what's my one next step. And my one next step isn't actually like moving the account. It's like doing some, like spending an hour on Google to like research what the current rates are. And so just doing that one step is like my next thing. And then I leave that alone for the day. So like gathering each like next thing. Yeah, that is such a good point. Uh, well, what I'd love to do is uh, switch the tables. If if there are any lingering money questions that you have that we didn't get answered on your podcast, I'd love to at least 
uh, take my uh, turn at bat for those. That would be great. Um, along like the same lines for me, Shauna, I was wondering, so like this whole idea of like one little step at a time. So like I've got this list and I know that there's things I've wanted to do. And I've been looking into um, working with a financial planner. And so originally my, uh, my foray into this, I asked like my CPA for recommendations and he sent me some and they all seemed like really good, but they were all um, hourly based. And then talking and like, so one of the things that got me a little bit concerned is like spending two, five, 10 hours with someone, they give me a plan and then I'm overwhelmed because now I've got one giant plan. And like, what happens if I've got a question now I have to pay like another hourly rate to get a question answered. And I was like, I don't know if this is the best fit. And then talking to some other people, I learned more about people, uh, financial planners who do monthly retainers. And with the monthly retainer model, it's like they're more available um, for that monthly fee, but they can answer questions anytime they come up. And that sounds like really great <laughs> to me, but I feel like there's a catch. You know, it's been Is really interesting to see the different, you know, business models kind of emerge, even over the last couple of years as technology has increased for financial planning. A lot of people have been shifting their models. I would say that you know, it is frustrating for myself as a CFP that a lot of other planners won't offer like, hey, you know what, you can buy two hours of my time or four hours of my time or whatever. And this is what we're going to accomplish in that time. So you actually have something actionable. But there are planners out there that that are like that, that will do that. I think, you know, the the kind of fine print with the monthly retainer that you just have to make sure that you're checking out is, are they requiring you first to actually do a full-fledged plan? And some of them do. So some of them will say like, okay, it's, I, I don't know, 40 or $50 a month or whatever the dollar amount is. But then in the five, fine print, it's like after you have, you know, spent $2,000 on a financial plan. So I think, you know, going to those different planners and, asking them, you know, I, I'm just really interested in just the like monthly retainer. Can I pick your brain? I've got stuff that comes up model, you know, do you offer that? And a lot of planners now are starting to bend and flex in that direction because honestly, I think it's ridiculous. Most of us don't have a spare, you know, 2000 to $3,500 just lying around, even though it's for a really good purpose. It's still, you know, it's a lot of money. Yeah. And that's like some of the things that like, I'm so scared that I'm like, okay, like, yes, I, w- I could pay that if I knew this was going to answer all of my financial questions for the rest of my life. <laughs> but I don't think that's yeah, probably happen. not for the rest <laughs> of your life. <laughs> it's kind of like when you unfortunately, I probably shouldn't say this because I because I am a financial planner, but it's kind of like after you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot, and it's not worth as much as when you just purchased it, you know, like a plan is this written document. So as soon as, you know, it's handed over to you, potentially a lot of the information in there might no longer be accurate, you know, depending on different things that change. But, you know, I think if you talk to at least, you know, two to three different planners and you find one that really fits with, you know, what your needs are and you feel a good kind of comfortable sense with them, uh, I a lot of financial planners honestly have the ability to bend and flex in their rates, you know, based off of who the client is and what their needs are. So I always say, just like we were talking about negotiating, like ask, you know, here's what I'm actually looking for. Is this something you can do? Yeah, that's awesome. And you'd say like, uh, 
would you say like for the two to three people, um, do you think a phone call is enough or do you think um, you have to meet them in person? I think that depends on you, you know, what you're, what you're comfortable with. A lot of planners now do virtual planning. So, uh, you know, you meet them over Skype or over some other, you know, Zoom or some other uh, online platform. Um, and so you could actually see their face. Uh, so again, I think it just depends on what you're most comfortable with. Um you know, and, you know, find planners that, that meet those needs. This is so interesting because it reminds me of the conversation we had on our show the other day. We were talking with a therapist. Actually, we we're talking with Cattell's therapist. And <laughs> one of the pieces of advice that she had that it seems like very parallel here was like, look, you need to find somebody that you're going to click with. You need to find somebody who kind of gets you. And she really recommended, she's like, you know, I know it's hard. It's an investment of time. And also talking to people about therapy can be really vulnerable, but I really, really strongly recommend that you try to, you know, contact three people and have phone calls with them and then meet two of them in person um, to help you get a better sense of like what to expect and differences and sort of like, you know, so you know, like, oh, yeah, no, this feels way better than that other person. And I thought that that was really interesting. I think that that's like, that's hard. I think it's like really hard with therapy, but also with financial planning, like it's hard enough to get my act together to talk to one person. <laughs> but I thought that it was like, it was nice the way she kind of broke it down as like, um, giving yourself some options and sort of like, making mistakes a little lower. So you feel like I'm not doing a big thing. I'm just having one phone call. Yeah, or you're just having, you know, one coffee, you know, 15 minute coffee session or whatever it may be. But, you know, because financial planning and what we're talking about your finances is so personal, it's a lot, it's so completely similar to therapy. It really is because for a lot of people, you know, you're exposing yourself in a way that you don't expose yourself to other people. And, you know, you're bearing all these numbers out for, for somebody to see and it can be a stressful process. And so that's why I really think, you know, talking to different people, meeting different people and finding someone that even if you just had a regular conversation, not about money with that person, you would find that other person interesting because I think that's what makes like a really good planner client relationship. I have more money questions if other people don't have money questions, but I don't <laughs> know for it. I like, I feel, I feel like I should let Sarah and Cattell get one. I was going to say like, I feel like Cattell, do you have anything you want to ask? Because I think we haven't heard your voice that much. I, I don't, I feel like I don't have any good, like burning questions. Um, I, ha I did recently check my credit score and I don't want to brag, but it's excellent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, and I kind of always wonder when I look at it, it like, <laughs> you can brag, you can brag, can do with an excellent credit score. Like, I mean, I don't want to open more credit cards or anything, but I don't know. I guess I'm always just like, is this doing anything for me? I mean, I guess it's good to have, but yeah, I mean, it's only really doing good for you if you need to borrow money, buy a car, buy a house, get a credit card, uh, you know, all of those things. This particular point doesn't apply to you, but it might apply to a different listener. A lot of times, actual employers now are looking at people's credit scores as an indication of, you know, what kind of uh, employee they might be, which I feel is quite a stretch because it's not telling even half of the story. But uh, I do know that's happening. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think, you know, when you have a good score, the best thing you can do is try to protect your score as best as humanly possible. And, 
you know, a lot of people who have a really good score kind of get in the the frame of mind of like, well, I don't have to check my credit very often because I know I have a good score, but you know, that can put you kind of in a danger position. So I always tell people, I mean, there's so many free apps now where you can check your credit that won't hurt your credit by checking it. Um, but even worst case scenario, you know, checking it at least twice a year will just help you be able to make sure that someone isn't using your credit that shouldn't be using your credit. Right. So that just yeah. happened to me and it was a nightmare. Oh, yeah. So um, I found out because I I, I also, um, not to brag, uh, no, but I also, <laughs> I also have good credit and I, I, um, I don't apply for credit very often because I've got, you know, my business card and my personal card that I like, and we bought a house a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, what am I, what am I financing at this moment of my life, which is a cool place to be. But it means that you don't really have a lot of opportunities where you need to look at your credit. So I didn't. Well, I uh, went to go get a new phone. And during the process of upgrading my phone, they were running the credit check. And they declined me for a phone. And I was like, oh, no, that means something bad has happened, right? Like, that's not like one ding. Oh, that's like, yeah. we, we won't give you anything. So I had to go and figure it out. And I mean, and it was a pain. It was a difficult process because I had to first figure out what even this thing was on there because I didn't recognize it and then figure out, you know, who to contact. It's not actually that clear when you see a ding on the report, finally getting in touch with the right people. And at first they couldn't give me any information about the account because like I couldn't answer the security questions about the account because hello, it wasn't my account. Um, they're like, what address is on file for it? I'm like, uh, uh, I can, I can tell you addresses I've actually lived at. You can tell me if one of those is what it is, but I have no idea. You know, what's the account number? I don't know. So that went on for a little while. And, um, and then it was this whole process of going through fraud, um, where the, the fraud investigator who works for the bank, um, so basically like the people who are reporting negative things about you are also the people who get to decide whether the thing they're reporting about you is true or not. And I mean, and in theory, you could go through other channels, but like, that's really the way that you get this resolved is you have to go through them. And so they have to agree it's fraud. And so, you know, it's like they have to take my statements about stuff and they do an investigation and the whole thing takes months. So I definitely, I wish that I had been paying closer attention to my report because by the time I found that that was on there, it wasn't just, oh, there's some weird delinquent account. It was so delinquent that it had become a charged off loan, meaning that the lender oh. had decided they were never going to get that money and reported it as a loss. And so that's a huge problem on your credit. So uh, big advice to anybody out there listening, even if you don't really think you're going to need to take advantage of your, your credit at any time in the near term, it is really helpful to keep a watch on that because the longer something sits on there, sort of like the bigger the headache becomes. I just have a follow-up question for you, Shauna. Um, would you recommend, so like I have a credit freeze on right now. Um, like, is that something that would protect us from something like that? Or is it a combination of a credit freeze and constantly checking your credit? You know, I think it's a combination. Uh, a lot of people are doing credit freezes now just to make sure that nothing happens to their credit. However, I have known listeners of the podcast who have had a credit freeze and still had their identity stolen. Uh, so, you know, I just feel like with your credit, you just can't be too careful because like what Sarah was saying, even though she had a great credit score, it's a headache to do all of this, to go back and try and prove that this wasn't you. And so, you know, I think it just, 
it's free. It doesn't hurt your credit score. And, you know, just set yourself like a calendar reminder and check it, you know, every couple months. Or I mean, I check it every month just to make sure there isn't anything kind of wonky going on. And so speaking of credit cards, um, one of the things I've been looking into recently, which we sort of talked about, like right now, um, the return on high yield savings isn't very high. And so there's not like, I feel like that many options for like really sure bets of like things you can just do short term with your money, you know, CD rates don't seem very high right now. Um, and so I was, um, looking or one of the things that someone suggested recently is to do more of like the credit card game um, in that like opening up new credit cards to get that like bonus $500 or bonus, you know, 50,000 miles. Do you think that's like a good approach to like short-term money wins? Uh, That's an interesting question. Um, You know, a lot of people use that strategy uh, for travel hacking. That's a popular strategy. You know, you can get free uh, plane tickets and all sorts of things like that. I haven't heard a lot of people use it to actually produce a return for money, although I will say that credit cards and their perks and rewards just keep getting better and better. Ironically, as people keep getting more and more in debt, um, that's a, it's a very weird our, – our country <laughs> yeah. is very weird with these sorts of things. Um, so, you know, I think as long as you could do something like that and you could maintain control over it and not kind of let it get out of control where, you know, you're getting in situations where either you're not hitting the mark for that particular bonus – um, or where you're starting to incur debt, um, then that sort of, you know, voids out whatever that bonus is. But, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting strategy. I think, again, it could work as long as you have kind of good self-discipline around it and make sure that, you know, you, you kind of have like a calculated strategy for how you're doing it. But you're right. I mean, there aren't a lot of places right now where you can earn interest, short-term interest and keep your money safe. If it's, you know, kind of the unfortunate reality of having low interest rates. They're great when we want to go buy houses and cars, but not so great when we're trying to actually grow our money. I feel so skeptical of all of those, like, let's work the system, hack this together stuff, just because I feel like, you know, I'm not somebody like one of the things that's true about me is I'm not somebody who necessarily wants to be like playing a game with my finances or like, I don't want to treat it like it's this thing I have to constantly be making moves on. I feel like that doesn't, that makes me stressed. That doesn't make me actually feel very good. So, you know, like I know some people kind of like get excited by that and feel like it's fun for them to be like constantly moving stuff around and like working the system. And for me, that's a nightmare. And so I've just recognized that like that advice could work for some people, but that doesn't mean that that's good for me because like mentally and emotionally, that's terrible for me. And that's a good point. I mean, that's why I'm always telling people that, you know, money is not one size fits all. Whatever article you read or podcast you're listening to, you know, it's always take what advice works for you and throw out the rest because we're all different. You're going to look at money differently than I'm going to look at it, than Jen is, than Catel is. We're all going to have these different viewpoints. We're also going to be different like on a risk scale. You know, some of us might be riskier. Some of us might be more conservative. And that's totally cool. And I think if we embrace that more, you know, it's it's just like you say, it's recognizing who you are and what you're comfortable with. Well, awesome. This has been uh, so much fun. I love chatting with all of you. You guys have such unique backgrounds. I'd love if you just tell the listeners, you know, where they can go to uh, find your podcast and maybe if you have any exciting topics that are coming up. 
we have so many great guests coming up. We've got everything from more financial topics, so including somebody who's going to talk more about pay equity in the workplace for women, uh, to a former Jeopardy winner. So we talk about a lot of different things with a lot of different people. And what really brings it together is that it is badass women sharing their stories. So be sure to head over to the link in the show notes to check out uh, my episode of the Know You Go podcast. And please feel free to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. And if you love this podcast, hey, do me a favor, share it with your friends, shout it out on social media, and head on over to that little link in the show notes to leave us a review. 